Hey everyone, welcome back to Sins to Do Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we're in 1 John chapter 5. It reads, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and that His commandments are not burdensome. And everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. So as we wrap up 1 John chapter 5 today, we conclude the book of 1 John. We still will have 2 and 3 John as well as Revelation written by John, but we see a great similarity between what John is trying to do in this book and what John was trying to do in the Gospel of John. 1 John 5.13 tells us, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. It's really the purpose statement for this epistle. We can really compare that with a verse from the Gospel of John as well. Going back to John 20, 30, and 31, we see now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Both the Gospel of John and 1 John, this smaller writing that he has given, are aimed at giving assurance for belief. They're aimed at providing what is necessary for an individual to walk through the pathway that God has placed before them to understand how he has revealed himself to them so that they can have faith and so that they can ultimately have what has been offered to them through Jesus Christ and his life, 
his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that is the eternal life. With this assurance in place, John displays some of the impacts that our faith has as we look for the way in which God continues to minister to his believers and his servants. Verses 14 and 15 are what we're going to focus on today. It says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And so this is really looking at the concept of prayer. If these individuals are struggling with their faith, they're not going to be able to, or are they really going to actually want to be looking to God for assistance because they're still questioning maybe even his existence, his goodness, or his desire to be accompanying his believers. But once we have this solidified, once the assurance of their salvation and their eternal life is confirmed in their faith and in their minds, we see that they then begin to lean on God for the things that they need. And we see here specifically that they're called to ask things according to his will. Whenever we talk about prayer, it's important that we understand that when we pray to God, we're supposed to pray according to his will. Because many of the times that we come to him in prayer, we really are asking, hey, God, get me out of this situation right now. Take me away from this uncomfortable thing or remove this hardship from my life. Remove these people who are not helping me. But what we see here is that we're supposed to pray according to God's will. And as we learn and grow about God's will, we see that God's will is not always to remove the individuals from the situations of suffering or hardship, but at times is to allow them to endure that suffering, allow them to endure that hardship so that they can receive the grace of God and that they can understand his goodness, understand his provision, and understand in a small way what it looked like for Jesus to suffer unjustly for the sins of the many when he himself was sinless. So much of what we experience in our lives can be due to our own decisions. But many times the things that we experience that are truly brought against us because of our faith are often just a result of living in a sinful world. And so we suffer unjustly in those situations, just as Christ did. And as we experience God's graces given to us in those moments, we experience a bit of the glories of Christ. And so as we reflect on that, we see that verse 15 says, Whatever we have asked in faith, whatever we have asked according to his will, that those requests we have asked for, we know we have them. We're assured of that as well, that it has been taken before the throne of glory, that Jesus Christ is interceding on our behalf, and that he understands our situation and is leaning into us in that moment, that he is with us, he will not leave us, he will not forsake us, he will be present with us, and he will be working all things together for his glory and his will in our lives. And so that is a great opportunity for these individuals to trust and to rest their faith in what Jesus is trying to do in their lives. And that's something that's very important for John to remind his readers of because they have been in a situation where they're doubting possibly the goodness or reality of Christ. They're doubting the reality of their faith because of the way in which they have been 
led astray by the false teachings that are around them. But as they now are moving forward in truth, as they now are understanding their solidified nature and the foundation of the gospel and how it provides for them, they now see in a greater way how they can constantly come to God the Father in prayer, knowing that their faith is sure, knowing that it is affirmed, and knowing that God cares for them in their situations, in their struggles, in their trials, and in their attempts to resist the false teachers and the other things that will come into their life that are a result of the sin in the world. And so as we reflect on that, may we have the same confidence. May we have the same trust in the goodness of God, in the ability of God to hear the prayers of his individual believers, interceding on behalf of his people, his church, for his glory and his kingdom. As far as a question here in this passage, what is up with this thought of the blood in the water? We see that introduced here in verse 6, and we see it mentioned several times in this passage. What is going on with this concept of blood and water? On our first look at this passage and this thought here, we could think back to the way in which we've seen John use blood and water previously, especially at the crucifixion of Jesus. We see there in John 19, when his side is pierced, the elements that are falling out of his body are separated into blood and water. And so we might be drawn to the thought that this is focusing upon realizing once again the humanity of Jesus. And as he had died at that point, when they pierced his side, the separation of blood and water showed that he was physically there, that he was an individual who had been deceased. While I do believe that there is something pointing us back to the crucifixion, I don't think that is what this passage is wanting us to look at, nor is it why he's using water and blood here. Really, as he talks about the water and blood here, I believe that he's focused more upon the individual events of Jesus' baptism by the water and his death demonstrated by the blood. When we look down at verse 7, when it says there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, these three agree. I believe it's focused on the fact that Jesus' baptism was a testimony to his ministry, displaying the real-life nature of Jesus, the reality of his human form that was visible to these individuals. The same is true of the blood as it testifies to his sacrifice on the cross. He truly died there. This combats the belief that people thought that Jesus was taken away in the spirit and was brought back afterwards and did not experience true death on the cross. It goes with that dualistic thought that we've spoken of in our Sunday nights extensively, but reminds us of the fact that the root of what these individuals were targeting was Jesus's life and death. Was he physically a human or was he more of the spiritual being? But the third item that he adds to that is also really important in us understanding what this is talking about. The testimony there of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who testifies, verse 6, and the Spirit testifies and will not lie. It will tell the truth. The Holy Spirit will display the testimony of who Jesus is. And so when we look at the water and the blood, it is displaying for us a reminder of Jesus's physical nature in his baptism and in the death on his cross and in the enduring testimony of the Spirit that took place through the disciples in the early church, as well as those individuals that John has spoken of, who can proclaim the truths of the opening chapter, that they saw him with their eyes, that they touched him with their hands, 
that they beheld the Son of God here on earth. And so that's what we're looking at with this concept of the water and the blood. It's important for us to dive into questions like that that we have when it's not clearly stated in the scriptures for us to look for how we're to understand these things. Sometimes looking at other passages, sometimes looking at other places, they use the same images, sometimes using the tools in our life and the people in our life to help guide us to a place of understanding about the questions we have about scripture. So whatever questions you have here in 1 John chapter 5 or in the rest of his writings or in the totality of the Bible, whatever it is that God has placed on your heart to curiously seek and understand so that you're able to see in a greater sense how he's revealing himself to you, I pray that you would find yourself committed to that process today. Know you are loved. You're-